Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Sherrod, Chris Legg, and Bryn Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith Podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, alongside my partners in crime, uh, Chris Legg and Bryn Starnes here in studio, and Chris Sherrod joining us in Dallas. I uh, did want to just say that with, with our uh, continuing struggle of making sure that we can get the best audio possible, there might be a little bit of um, just some kind of robotic sounding in Chris, Le- Chris Sherrod's voice, but no worries. Thank you for... Thank he you. hasn't actually become a robot. Yeah, he's, he's not a he's, robot. I'm still me. It's he's still, still just a con- it's a connection. Dallas issue. hasn't changed in that much. So thank you for bearing with us <laughs> as yeah. we as we figure that out. We yep. are grateful, um, and we are jumping back in to conversation about sexism in the Bible. Yes, wow. and so we talked some. This is like our fourth or fifth episode. <laughs> I know. This has been we, great. This we is thought it really was going to awesome. be two episodes. Yeah, here we yeah. are. But no, it's yeah. awesome. So I mean, a quick recap. I yep. mean, we've. We've talked a little bit about an overview, then we've hit things in the Old Testament, like mm-hmm. as far as rape laws and other things like that. And then we transition to what does Jesus say yep, about Yeah, what this? Jesus taught directly. And so do we have more? Is that kind of what we're continuing <laughs> to talk about now? Or what I are we talking we about now? I the conversation on Jesus pretty well yes. as to kind of his okay. treatment of, and that he would have been considered progressive, and even he clearly was right. offensive um, to some of the established people at the time with how his how he treated women with gentleness and kindness and dignity in a way that was not culturally demanded or, or probably normative. Mm-hmm. And given the way some of the religious leaders replied to him, uh, he, he apparently just def- offensive. Right. Now, much less offensive to us in 2022. Right. Because it's how we would hope people would treat each other. But uh, anyway, but at its time, he was, he was kind of head of the head of the curve when it came to that. Yeah. Yes. But he's not the only person in the New Testament, and certainly not the only person who referenced <laughs> exactly. or talked about uh, women. Right. So now we're moving into more of the letters and the oh, early that's church. Right. That's right. And some fun, hot topics. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Just moving into that. I mean, wanna, yeah. And they all, they all oh, connect go. to each other, so we can start with whichever you want to start, wherever yeah. you guys want to start. I mean, I think it's it's cool to start with. We can break into the specific passages, but some things that I um, think it's important to remember when talking about the coming of the church is just some generalities of even the, the beginning of the new church. So whether it's acts or um, recorded in the letters, but like men and women both received the Holy spirit at the beginning. Um, Paul mentions women as partners in the faith and, deaconesses and highly speaks of them as people who are partners in the faith and even even deaconess is is actually a probably a twist on the language it's just deacon deacon yeah the 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 greek word is diakonos and so which sounds like deaconess which sounds like deaconess (laughs) but that's male and female right and so it's a phoebe from roman 16 is a deacon. Mm-hmm. In fact, the deacon of a specific church. Yeah. Um, and then Priscilla and Aquila. Mm-hmm. She's always mentioned first, I think, which is weird. Yeah, that's weird, but I, I don't know that that means anything. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just how you do people's names. You ever done that wrong? 
It's, well, it's like, clearly Brynn I mean, Mason. It is I not mean, Mason and Brynn. Most no one would ever say that. Sound yeah. more. Right. I mean, they sound better with one name first for whatever yeah. reason. Not that. Yeah. <laughs> not that I'm one of those. I, there's a, a book I listened to recently, and the author probably it's pronounced Aquila. Aquila and Priscilla. And so that's, I, that is you difficult. would never say it that way. You would always Aqu- say Priscilla and Aquila. You would never say it the other <laughs> way. So anyway, I'm just having fun with it. I don't know. I don't know how to say it. Um, anyway. Yeah, but okay. I think that's helpful to just and as an overview. Yeah. In fact, I'll just comment. In, in the early, some of the early translators, because of their culture, had a problem with this. Some of the ways that women were so highly regarded scripturally. The passage you were referencing, Romans 16, <clears throat> also mentions Junia. Mm-hmm. And it says, the passage says she was well known among the apostles. Mm-hmm. And no one knows exactly how to translate that. Like, man, you asked the apostles about Junia and they all knew who she was. Or she was well known as one of the apostles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, apostle just means sent. It doesn't have to mean anything beyond that. One yeah. of the sent ones. But that would be obviously a pretty high significant position mm-hmm. of some kind, recognition. Um, but many early church translators changed her name to the masculine. Interesting. Because they were kind of uncomfortable with the thought of a feminine, a person with a, a female name being connected so closely to apostleship. Hmm. Um, so we can see humans do sometimes mess this stuff up. But uh, yeah, we, mm-hmm. we, we've we learned to wrestle through it here. We, yes. That's one of our favorite things. So those things that you just mentioned to me, <clears throat> or to us, they don't sound very, you know, controversial or anything. But there are some of the, some interpretations or things that are said that are hard to understand. Yeah. Yeah, they're also very sexist. Yeah. They're controversial, but not in the way you're thinking. Okay. Not for people deconstructing their faith. Yes. Yes. Sometimes for people within the faith, they can be controversial. Okay. Right. Gotcha. Right. So so then what do we want to dive into right now? Well, I want to dive into a couple of passages. Yeah, exactly. There's there's two or three main ones. What do you think? From the standpoint of... It would be from a standpoint of deconstruction. So it would be hard for this may be a roadblock for someone in their faith. Yeah. Um, what you got, Chris? Well, if we just go off, I mean, I was going to say alphabetically. In order, <laughs> isn't the First Corinthians, First Corinthians? Yeah, that's kind of the first one. Reading? Yep. First Corinthians 11 would be a good place to start. Um, first Corinthians 11. We're going to be, what about verse six-ish? No, back further. It's about head coverings. Uh, Uh, Starting in 11.2. I'll start this one. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain their traditions, even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven for if a wife will not cover her head then she should cut her hair short but since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head let her cover her head for a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of god but the woman is the glory of man For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. This is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels or messengers. 
Um, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, man is born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a wife to pray with God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is disgraceful for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. <laughs> there you go. Good. All right. We're good. That is a lot. Yeah. End quote. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I moving on. I'm, I, see, <laughs> I see here how this might be a stumbling block for people yeah. who don't understand. Yeah, yeah. It, it it does feel weird and yes. strange and countercultural or or something yeah. and and sexist because or, of yes. with men and women. Yes, or a, even from a different perspective, like, well, it may seem like some believers are being hypocritical because it's like, oh, well, you don't follow these things. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you one grow, of those. you grow your hair out. Right. 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 Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> one, we're not going to get into it. Um, because it's very in-depth and not entirely family-friendly, probably. <laughs> but I want to ref- recommend the Naked Bible Podcast, episode 86, um, in which those guys really unpack the question of what Paul says down here that we have that would leave us totally scratching our heads when he says, does not nature even teach that men should have short hair and women should have long hair? Mm-hmm. That, make, that means nothing to us. Like, no, that's no, not natural. There's nothing about yeah. nature with that. Men can have long hair, women can have short hair. That's nothing... I mean, the length of your hair has to do with when you cut it, not nature. Right. Right. Um, all of us grow long hair if we don't cut it. And so... You said um, episode 86? Episode 86 in the Naked hey. Bible podcast. They really, they really work hard and dig into this and do a lot of good historical medical work to uncover how, <laughs> how at the time people understood hair. Mm-hmm. And I'll just leave it there. So you can, we're not going to unpack that piece of it here, yeah. mm-hmm. but that really isn't a sexist thing. That's just an odd thing. That's a yeah. cultural thing. We're like, what does that and have to do with? their medical understanding at the time. Yes, right? yeah. exactly. So we can unwrap that. But what about this idea? I mean, what, okay. So uh, what feels sexist within that <laughs> passage? I mean, I feel like there are a few things The the man is the glory of God and the woman is the glory, the glory of, of man. man. That seems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, women need their head covered before the Lord, but men don't. Right. Feels subordinate. Subordinate. Or even like they don't have the same access to God, maybe. Mm. Right. Okay. Good thought. What were you going to comment about? It feels like there's someone between the woman and God. Like in order for her to go to God, she's got to go through her husband. Yeah. Right. Or she has to be more respectful in front of God than men do or something. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's good to know... And and I know Chris will comment on this, if not here, then other places as well. That this is this is in particular not about men and women. This is about husbands and wives. So first, let's set aside the idea that this is fundamentally sexist. Mm-hmm. This doesn't mean that you know Colson has some kind of authority over Bryn. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if you understood this in its most literal traditional way, mm-hmm. this doesn't put men in authority over women. It just puts right a specific man in authority over his wife. Mm. Um, go ahead, Chris. What, what are you going to add to that? Well, I, I know we've talked many times before about context. This is, this is kind of Paul. It seems like it, the Corinthian church had a lot of problems, and yes. they were tolerating stuff they shouldn't have tolerated and were proud of it. Yep. And um, 
were confused some on people being offended with food sacrificed to idols versus not. And he's going to talk in just a little bit about even the Lord's Supper and how... Yeah, speaking of weird I mean, things Christians believe and like, do, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, just how they're not, they were not functioning like a normal church you think of with order. And you got people showing up drunk for the Lord's Supper or, I mean, they're, they're already doing that or they're, they're not waiting for everyone to show up. And uh, this is another thing, I think, where he's trying to explain people from a pagan background and the way the world naturally thinks to... Okay, but here's how things need to function here. And whenever you see stuff, and this is true if we're reading even Ephesians 5 about marriage, is it's describing uh, different roles, but it's your role, not your rank. And so when you read, for when we read, for example, he says that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Um, that This goes back to theology, that theologically Christ is not inferior he's equal and yet in his role in coming to the earth the father sends the son the son sends the holy spirit the son submits to the will of the father so in their roles and how things are playing out submission is part of that but it has nothing to do with right their value or equality uh, in any form so when you read there that the husband's ahead of the wife it just means hey he's the leader he's responsible and he's going to be leading but then if you couple that with Okay, Ephesians 5 tells you how to do that. Right. He's literally laying down his life, putting his wife first, loving her like Christ. It's not a domineering thing at all. And so that's where probably a lot of women in particular, but people don't like that word submit, wives submit, or the mm -hmm. husband is the head, because you have seen bad examples. You have right. seen terrible examples of men who think the way the world naturally thinks of. Well, that means I'm telling you what to do, and mm -hmm. you're my servant, versus... Right. What Jesus had to explain to the disciples was, no, it's totally the upside down of the world. I'm not here to be served, but to serve and to give my life. And that's how we're to live it out. So yes. even on an initial reading there, if we're trying to figure out what does it mean the head of husband is Christ and the head of the whatever, right away, just going, okay, we need to clear your thinking on what does it mean to be the head? It is, has nothing to do with your value or Right. Or worth like that. Mm -hmm. And here's like to point out, Paul's not making a competition necessarily here with these things. Look at look at seven and eight. For a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image of glory of God or image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. Now, look at that and you go, oh, so men are created in the image of God. Yeah. Well, what did, we just looked at that passage, which Paul was obviously very aware of last two weeks. What does that passage actually say? Genesis one twenty seven. Oh, that men and women. That, yeah, male and, yeah. Male and female were mm -hmm. created in his image. Well, Paul's not ignorant of that. Paul hasn't like, right. oh, I forgot that's in there, that both that of yet. them are. I've not looked at that one in a while. He's not saying, when he says man is the image and glory of God, he's not saying in this passage that women aren't the image and glory of God. He's saying there's a sign that when women, is all, women are also the glory of man, in addition to that, because of the creation from man. And again, you're dealing with the Apostle Paul, who obviously has a very traditional understanding of the creation story from Genesis. He's going to take it as as absolutely, probably absolutely literal, which again is totally appropriate. But he's when he's doing this, just recognize he is retelling essentially the creation story here, and it's not that women are inferior any more than as as Chris Sherrod just said, 
that Christ is inferior to God the Father, even though there's an authority structure given in this passage mm-hmm. for them. Um, I think that's <coughs> important. He, I think he summarizes it when he says in verse 9, man was not created for woman, but woman for man. That is quite literally the order of creation. Mm-hmm. It wasn't woman walking around and God's like, man, she needs some help. <laughs> that chick, that chick, she needs some help. It was Adam walking around that God's like, wow, man, the boy needs some help. Yeah. And so that's, that has nothing. That passage is clearly, literally, mm-hmm. woman was created to help man who apparently needed help. It wasn't that man was created to help woman who needed help. Mm-hmm. And and that's that. I don't think he's making any statement there other than, no, that, I, I mean that literally. Man was, woman was created to help the boy who needed some help. So, um, and that's why the woman needs this symbol. By the way, you got to love that it's a symbol of authority <clears throat> on her head. And he goes to this whole thing about long hair, which is very Jewish and very Greek. And he goes into that. We don't know exactly the, you know, she needs the symbol of authority on her head because of the angels or maybe the messengers, like, but that's clearly for outside of meaning for outside observers that, that they can see that she sees herself as humble, Mm -hmm. that she's not trying to, and that may be connected. You talked yesterday off air, I mean, you're talking about Corinth and, Mm -hmm. and most, most of the, uh, ancient Greek cities had a, had a God and a goddess. Mm Mm-hmm. So in Corinth, you had Aphrodite, the goddess of love and sex and fertilization and all that kind of stuff. And, and I mean, fertility, fertilization, fertility. And, uh, and so, uh, and so that there was a big cult of worship of Aphrodite, mm-hmm. uh, of, of feminine power. Female led. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so part of this probably also connects the fact that Paul's saying, listen, when people look in on you, they need to tell that you don't see yourself in that same light. Yeah, like brazen and yeah, yeah that's interesting. Yeah, it's like a pagan power woman or something. Mm-hmm. It isn't it interesting that in today's world, the Wicca movement, the witchcraft movement, has has so embraced the women power movement mm-hmm. because paganism is about power and witchcraft is about female pagan power. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're looking for personal power, God's not where you go. If right. you're looking to submit to power, yeah. Um, those, those are some good, I, I, Chris made some good points there as well. Jesus is my head and he suffered and died for me. Mm-hmm. That's apparently what it means. Shepherding is the right mindset. When we think of leadership in the West, we think of people driving cattle with whips and guns. Right. In the Middle East, when they're talking about leading, they're thinking about shepherding, someone who is tending the flock at their own expense, mm-hmm. possibly. Yeah. So, Which anyway. I think was just as a side note on submission. I know we can talk about that for a long time, but we've talked about this on the podcast before, but... I'm like not, I I enjoy talking about this because I'm not a personality who comes across as, I'm not a very mild personality. Mm-hmm. I'm not like submission. I think before I learned the real true biblical version of what submission is, right. it does put a bad taste in your mouth. Like I'm feisty. I don't like the idea of what the world has presented, what the, I think what the world views as biblical <laughs> submission. I'll put it right. that way. Um, kind of pathetic capitulation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, and so I think that was transformational for me understanding a lot of these passages, even like you're saying, the ones that um, that do speak to submission. And right. some of them we'll talk about were cultural or whatever. But um, but I think, you know, even in Philippians 2, where we are all called to like mutual submission right. to follow Christ's footsteps of right. um, 
we're all called to submit as Jesus submitted, and it's not presented as something that is weakness. It's more of a heart posture before the Lord. Um, what's the verse? We're all called to submit to one another. Ephesians 5. Yeah, right before Ephesians. Yeah. What did yeah, you right, say? Yeah. About 520. Yeah, submitting to one another, so mutual submission. And and so I think just as a, <laughs> as a feisty woman, I think that was really helpful for my understanding of mm-hmm. the gospel and even biblical marriage of how it can be beautiful um, because I think the world's view of biblical submission is very distorted. And even like we've talked about before, the ways that the, um, word submission has been misused in the church right. and in Christian communities or, um, abuses that have happened in families or whatever under the auspice of right. quote unquote submission, right. um, taints our taste of that word. And yep. we have to go back to, to that, but. You've anyway. heard me teach about it, and I often will use the word devote instead of submit. Right. Because, again, we've talked about how, um, you know, the other, many of the other religious writings, I think we talked about this a few episodes ago, from this time period, women were not con- were not treated as moral free agents. Right. It was, husbands, submit your wives. Husbands, mm-hmm. force your wives into submission. Mm-hmm. And what makes Paul a revolutionary when it comes to this is that Paul's family code says, women, you have a responsibility. Like I would, I would literally say, I don't know that it could ever be appropriate for a husband to tell his wife to submit. Mm-hmm. It's her job to submit to her husband's leadership in Christ, not in her husband's leadership. Mm-hmm. Like that's his, he's, he, unless he's somehow perfected sacrificing for her <laughs> um, and serving her, I don't know where he would get a, get off saying, telling his wife, Hey, here's how you need to apply scripture. Mm-hmm. Like that's God is, can speak directly to her and does. And Anyway, it just it just strikes me as such a dangerous mindset that when and it's why how it's been abused is by mm-hmm. people throwing around I'm bigger and stronger so I'm going to use this Bible verse and hit you over the head with it in an abusive way and you know I guess wives could have done the same thing if maybe that's the issue is that wives could have said well I don't see you sacrificing for me like Jesus sacrifices for the church so mm-hmm. you know let me know when you got that down and then we'll <laughs> talk but yeah. When we focus on somebody else's behavior, it's always going to be bad. But the idea of submission biblically is, uh, I mean, you know, you've got a family member in the military. Mm -hmm. Uh, My best friend was a Navy SEAL. And when we watched Navy SEAL movies together, he'd always joke when Navy SEALs ignored orders. Like when they would get an order, you know, you stay here and here's your sniper position. And then they would decide partway through like, no, I've got a better idea with how to use my time. (laughs) And he would just start laughing like, you're you're right, like that's going to... That would never, ever, 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 ever. I mean, he's like, I don't know enough evers. It's never going to happen. Right. He gets given an order. You stay here. This is your job. Well, I, I've made a different decision. I didn't ask you to think. I didn't ask for you. Navy SEALs are not passive. They're not weak. Mm-hmm. They're not pathetic, but they are submissive. Which is under, Yeah. you've taught on that before. Both of you. I've heard both Chris's teach on Yeah. sub, meaning under <clears throat> mission. Yeah. You're just under the mission. That's You're right. making the mission of another happen. That's right. Which is very empowering to me. That's right. It, it doesn't, <laughs> I, I get that it gets been abused and we've talked about that before. Nothing of what we're saying here means you've never been abused with this. Right. You've not heard this taught badly. Mm-hmm. You've not had been married to somebody who mm-hmm. was a, you know, narcissistic or abusive or terrible person mm-hmm. who abuses these things. That just, I don't believe in any way was Paul's intent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I don't think that was Paul's intent. So we've looked at the some of this one. I don't know if we so, unpacked this one enough or not. The well, First Corinthians one and so when it comes to like head coverings, so would you <laughs> say? And maybe this is complicated. Did you did you want to say something else real quick, Sherrod? Oh yeah, about that. Sorry. Is that what you were saying? 
Well, no, I was going to say again, Paul. Paul equals the playing field when he says woman was made from man, but then he says so man is now born of woman. So right. Like, exactly. Now it's we're just as dependent. It's not like anyone is more. It's just the first time, the chicken or the egg thing. But the first time, <laughs> yeah, the woman came out of the man. But then after every time after that, every man in existence came from a woman. So it's right. And everything came from God, which is really what it comes right. down to, right? Right. Um, as far as the head covering, so I think I think what we have to do, we talk about hermeneutics. You look for the the principle here, mm-hmm. and what is the principle? And the principle is, is it does the wife want to display to the world that she respects her husband's leadership? Mm-hmm. And and in their day, a head covering was the proper way to show that. Um, apparently. Which is why it says, judge for yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray yeah, with right. her head uncovered? And actually, we're going to come back to that. Verse 5 says, every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered. We're going to go back to the fact that Paul is assuming women pray and prophesy, by the way. Yeah. Publicly in church. Yeah, yeah publicly. So I also heard yeah, that like if you're like a lot of times back then, like a prostitute, they would have short hair or their heads were shaved. And so even yeah. with his argument there, he's like, how are you trying to look? Are you trying to, you know, what, what, like the, are you wanting to show the world that you're submitting to your husband and that you're, even that you're taken, mm-hmm. but also what message are you sending if your head's all short and shaved, which obviously today short hair wouldn't say that, but in their right. culture, it, would it, it is different. That mess, that's connected to the, some of the pagan worship too. Um, temple prostitution was a huge issue in, uh, Athens, whose god was Athena, not surprising. Right. Uh, Ephesus, whose god was Artemis, goddess. These are our goddesses. Uh, goddess was Artemis, and uh, Corinth, whose goddess was Aphrodite. And so, temple prostitution was a common issue. Women or boys or men who worked in the temple, and you would go and pay for their prostitution mm-hmm. services to the temple, and they were usually slaves and probably pretty horribly treated. Probably the the ancient version of sex slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and so. One of the things that that certainly there are times when it seems like what Paul is saying is make sure that you don't look like somebody who practices this pagan practice, mm-hmm. that you're not part of this pagan practice. Yeah. Um, because hair was considered more sexual back then, I think. Right? That's part of it. And again, that Naked Bible podcast unpacks that idea right. of its role in regards to sexuality. Um, so I, I think I think there's, I can understand why it feels weird here but I think in the same way that a husband should go out of his way to show that he loves and sacrifices for his wife publicly, what Paul is instructing is that the women understand you have a responsibility to show your love and respect for your husband. Mm-hmm. And he is saying head covering is a good way to do it. What's wild about this is, and I don't know what it was then, but today Jewish men are one who wear head coverings mm-hmm. in order to acknowledge the authority of God over them. Um, and so it's intriguing that at some point either this switched or it traded or Paul was making it different. I, we really don't know why exactly he chose this the way he did or why modern day Judaism men wear the yarmulke thing on their heads that is meant to imply meant to indicate the, the authority of God over them. Um, but what I would say is I don't know that 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 would be a wrong application of this principle, mm-hmm. even if it is, okay, men start wearing head coverings and women don't wear head coverings. As long as the purpose of it is to show, listen, we're under the authority of God and we're under earthly authorities as well. And we want to respect that and acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a woman in our church who, who 
wears a head covering for because of this passage. Mm-hmm. She doesn't ask anybody else to do it. She just says, I feel like it's important for her. It's kind of like, um, you know, Paul McKenzie calling me boss. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do that because he's like, doesn't know me or we're not good friends because we are. It's, or, or that you demand that but, yeah, of him. No, right. certainly not. And I called a former boss of mine, Captain. Every time I saw him, I was like, hey, Captain, how do I? And it was to remind me and him. Hey, I, I defer to you. You're leading here. When we start mm-hmm. this conversation, let's both of us keep in mind you're leading the conversation. Mm-hmm. And and that's just a it's just a sign of respect. And it's not a bad thing. It's like mm-hmm. saying yes, sir, or no, ma'am, or whatever. It's just a... Yeah. I really think that's what Paul's trying to accomplish here is to say, don't be afraid to show respect. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to show this difference in some way. Can we, 11. Yeah, 11. And we read kind of <coughs> verse 1 through 11. Can we unpack another passage in the next mm-hmm. 10 minutes? Oh, yeah. We can go to 14 Double next. Later. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 14. <laughs> so 14 is is probably even more challenging in some okay. ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, 14 <clears throat> verse, uh, what about is it, 30, 34? Yeah, 33, 34. Yeah. Mm, this is fun. You so want let me, me read it? Let me, yeah, I'm, I'm going to pre... Yeah, start with 33. I think that's a good place well, to start. And we'll talk about this and the Timothy passage too here. Yeah, Sharon. If I could just say, again, this is all context. The The flow of the thought really starts in verse 26 about how in the church services, people are speaking out and blurting out in other languages and there's no interpretation. It's tongues gone awry. Mm-hmm. It's like yep. chaos. And it's a disorderly service that he's trying to, to calm down. So just like a lot of these things we're dealing with, if you're just going to lift that one verse out and just go, mm. women must be silent, you're missing what's going on here is he's trying to help you understand your attitude, your reverence, and everything that's been going on there. So mm-hmm. again, we don't have to read it, but I just want to make sure people understand we're going to pick up right in the middle of him saying things have got to be done in an orderly way. Yeah. Right. You guys are out of control. It there. is out of control. Yeah, it's the not church even is a out paragraph of break. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. It's just all the way through. Yeah, that's good. Um, so that being said, you want me to start reading in 33? 33 is probably pretty good as long as people through 35. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so picking the verse right out of the middle of the paragraph. It's right in the middle. That's a... <laughs> um, we'll start, we'll start with 33 though. What it says. Yeah. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Wait, let me see which mm-hmm. I was checking my, which version. <laughs> okay. Um, for God is not, oh, where to go? So hold on. Okay. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but they should be in submission as the law also says, if there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Yeah. Um, and I think oh. that's all the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> was that a mistake? Bryn was just speaking and we're in Uh-oh. church. Uh-oh. Oh, no. It wah, doesn't say wah. in the podcast. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Does it not say that either? Okay. So, yes. Okay, yes. Yeah. Clearly. But should be par- difficult. What's that? Should we parallel, go ahead and bring in the other, the verse from Timothy just to show. Or just to, yeah. Yeah. If you want to do similar. the first Timothy yeah. too. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you want to jump over to it, or I've got it pulled up. And if you want me to. Timothy 2. I would start in verse 8. But, okay, so again, keep in mind, so this is Paul's letter to a young pastor in Ephesus. 
Um, Ephesus is a is a deeply devoted city to Artemis, mm-hmm. um, their goddess. Um, and so, again, you might there might be some very special things going on here. But the message of Timothy is Paul telling Timothy, um, do not let the message get disrupted. Do not let it happen. And everything that is to older men, younger men, older women, younger women, everything in Timothy essentially is summarized as don't get distracted from the message. Mm. And he does it over and over again. Do not get distracted. This young pastor in this very difficult place, probably to be a pastor. And if you uh, want to read about it, by the way, Acts 19, the whole chapter is all about yeah. Paul getting there and a riot that was started all because of this worship of Artemis. That was the center of their whole their whole yep. commerce really was centered around this. So <clears throat> is a good window to refer back to. You want to, Colson, are you there? I'm here. Okay, yeah. well, first, first, I mean, are you at the passage? Yeah, yeah, I know, you, I, know, I know. I know exactly. <laughs> I'm tracking with you. Uh, uh, first, yeah, start in verse 8. First Timothy 2, starting in 8. Okay, great. And go to the end because, I mean, it's... Yeah. Okay, great. I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was was formed first, excuse me, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. There you go. <clears throat> so again, it's right. pretty similar in some ways. Yeah. So, so Chris, do you want to go back first and reference? So the First Corinthians 14 in this First Timothy 2 passage about women not speaking up so much in church. Mm-hmm. But we just read in First Corinthians 11 about in an orderly service, how women are supposed to pray and prophesy. How do you, how do you integrate those? Well, so I think in particular, um, it's just talking about when someone is teaching, I mean, in the, in, during the service and it, what, from what it sounds like in first Corinthians, because he just got done saying things are sounding confusing and out of order that possibly women were blurting out stuff um interrupting like talking out loud and it was just becoming probably more of a distraction um interestingly i i think this goes back to a lot of the way you you read stuff when it says if she has a question she should talk to her husband about it um again i think it's helping remind them like he said earlier like i need you to let let your husband lead like let the guy try to lead like Mm-hmm. There's so many times as as that husbands feel like, okay, but my wife, she's way better at praying than me, or she's way more knowledgeable of the scripture, but I can't use that as an excuse to go. So therefore I don't need a lead. And uh, I think a lot of times women that are like Bryn is, and like my wife is more feisty and controlling. They're perfectly fine with. I didn't say controlling earlier. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, did I say that? Sorry. <laughs> but uh, I noticed that too. <laughs> a little editorial thrown in there. Yeah. Y'all may need to talk later. Sorry. It can be intimidating for husbands who feel like I'm not as deep or spiritual and therefore I'm not qualified. And God's like, I didn't pick you to lead because of your moral superiority or because of your, you know, perfect record. I'm I'm asking you to lead in a servant leadership type way. 
And so, and I've actually read the first Corinthians 14 passage um, as one way that Paul is trying to empower the husbands and say, listen, if you've got questions, wait until you get home and let your husband try to unpack this with you and let him lead a little bit rather than keep asking every time. And I think I see it as a way of him trying to encourage the husbands sometimes rather than um, we're just trying to get women to stop talking. Yeah. Mm. Chris, I'm even curious. Have you ever thought about this? That he's telling the women they need to go home and ask their husbands instead of who? I don't know. You mean him? Like himself. The, instead of Paul? Himself oh, okay. or Timothy. Paul, yeah. Paul would rather the women have this conversation with their husbands than with an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul, I think, is purely trying to empower the marriage here and mm-hmm. trying to empower the husbands and the wives and saying, listen, don't ask me first. First, you talk to him about it. The two of you talk about it. And she's going, well, he's an idiot, and you're an apostle. <laughs> and he's like, I hear you. Talk to him first. Mm. And I, I think if you, if you come back to Paul, now again, this isn't in the Bible, but this is my tendency. So I, I led a ministry for a long time, taught in a ministry for a long time called Womenary. Uh, so yeah, what that's kind of a great name. And so... It was seminary level training for women only. And so I was supposed to teach these 20 hour classes on like soteriology or, or pneumatology or whatever. And, and about how ha- I'd been teaching it two or three years when I realized, I mean, uh, half the class is questions. And I realized I really enjoyed the attention and the admiration and the respect of all these women in the room who are asking me the expert questions. And I realized I was not, following Paul's example here of saying, you know what, here's what we're going to do. It's totally okay for you to ask me a question, but I want you to ask your husband the same question also. Like, I want you just to do that. I think it'd be healthier on your marriages Mm -hmm. rather than you're going home and like, well, Chris said, (laughs) or well, Paul said, well, Timothy's and, Mm -hmm. and instead saying, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. Here's what I think about this. And what a great intimate conversation for a spiritually intimate conversation for a couple to have. So again, the practicality of it, is this Paul saying, you know, I just think women don't ask good questions. They're just not as smart as men. And so I just don't want to hear their thoughts. I mean, it's possible, but I don't, I don't, that doesn't seem to fit with the big picture. Mm. Is it also possible that this is Paul saying, listen, culturally speaking, it's rude for a woman to speak up in front of a group of men. Obviously that is also possible. Mm. Now, here's what strikes me though about that. So I wanted to, I wanted to reference something because someone threw this out um, recently. So I'm going to, I want to jump over. I'm going to take a point. I'm going to make a point with something. I'm going to look at first Corinthians six, nine and 10, six, nine and 10. This is Paul writing again to Corinthians. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, no men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's a list that he puts together of of these specific sins that if people are living in these sins, embracing these sins, identified by these sins, it's going to cost them uh, knowing God. You notice with that list, I can't go in and just pull one thing out of that list and go, you know what? Uh, Homosexuality must have been cultural. So I'm going to pull that out because that was just cultural. And drunkenness, that was cultural. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pull that out. The rest of them still apply, but I'm going to pull these two out of the list you would say, that's not good hermeneutic. You, you can't do that. You, you, you either have to say the whole list is 
like that, like a list put together like this by Paul. Okay. You know what? None of this really applies to us. Um, or it all applies to us. Like you, you can't, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. a bad, it's a bad idea. Now yeah. jump back to the passage we were just looking at. I know we're, we're running out of time here, but for today, yeah, so, and I will say if Bryn and Chris need to leave for their meeting, I still want us yeah, to Yeah, I can hear, close out. I, yeah, I want to yeah. hear that. Um, so I notice back where we were in Timothy, I desired then that in, in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands. Okay, do we command that? Mm. Do, we com- do we prescribe that men lift hands in church? Mm-hmm. No. No, we don't. Um, modesty, that women should adorn themselves with respectful peril, modesty, and self-control. Yep, those are good principles. But the, the application, not with braided hair, gold, pearls, or costly attire. Mm-mm. No, we've decided these are principles that we need to apply, mm-hmm. but not prescriptive behaviorally. Yeah. Right? So it doesn't make a lot of sense to then go down to verse 11 and say, this isn't principle, this is behavioral prescription. Right. Um, because either the list applies or the list doesn't. Mm-hmm. And in this situation, I think as... And I, by the way, I think rightly... Most churches have said, yes, these are vital principles, modesty, humility, uh, non-competition with each other, not quarreling, not angry, authentic worship, recognizing authority, being submissive and humble. These are all vital principles. Mm -hmm. But the direct applications, at some point, we've apparently decided not to make them prescriptive, or we've decided Paul didn't really mean them to be like, you know, I don't literally mean every man has to raise his hands all the time. Mm -hmm. In service. I don't literally mean no woman can ever wear gold or pearls again or braid her hair again. I don't literally mean that. I mean the principle. <clears throat> that's I, I think that's what we've done with these rightly. Mm-hmm. Is we said these are vital principles and they're very important. That doesn't mean there aren't people who have abused them. Right. Um, and so anyway, I just wanted right. to that's compare yeah. that yeah. to say just because we look at one list and say this list seems culturally contextual and we need to figure out how to apply its context to our culture. Right. right? And then there's other lists that we go, no, this is this is a specific list of moral behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And unless we're willing to lose all of them, we really can't just lose any of them. Yeah. It's a sophisticated, can be complicated understanding. Anyway, mm-hmm. I know good. we're That's there great. running out of time today. Wonderful. So this good. And there'll be there'll be other passages, correct, <laughs> that we're gonna unpack. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Go ahead, Chris. Well, do we want to end with a, a thought on a woman we save through childbearing? If we're gonna yeah. This? Why don't you close that out that way? And if somebody needs to bail, well, they the can. Thing- so the context, again, appears that Paul in his brain is thinking back to the fall and the curses that were pronounced on, on women because of that, which is um, the effect of the fall is going to be, he says um, to Eve, your desire will be for your husband. And that word desire is not a positive one because it's used in the next chapter to talk about sin desires to master you. But uh, the other consequence is going to be uh, pain in childbirth, childbearing. And so um, when it talks about Adam was formed first and Eve and Eve was deceived, again, he's just saying the facts. He's not giving value to women are worse off because she's the one that Satan specifically addressed and deceived. Because we know Adam was deceived, apparently, but he also sinned. But also, in other places, Paul only talks about it's Adam's, um, you're in Adam. It's Adam's responsibility. Adam is the one who, and, and so right. Eve isn't even mentioned. So Again, we know that he's not blaming women in general. Right. But the one interpretation of Because 15, the, what, 1 Corinthians is 15 is... It, 1 Corinthians 15 yeah, is when he says, it's it the man. Yeah, the next part, yeah. Yeah, sorry, but go ahead. But when it says, 
that um, a woman will be saved through childbearing. That sounds confusing. Like, so I'm not saved until I have a baby or what if I can't have children, what does that mean? Right. And um, again, he's been talking about the effect of the curse that, um, that, that because of that now childbearing is going to be painful and things like that. But it, the, the word through doesn't always mean by, like you're saved through something, you're saved right. by it. Um, it doesn't always mean that. It can be uh, to be brought through something, to be brought safely through something. So again, using Paul's own words in 1 Corinthians 3, when he's talking about what you build your life on, and some men will be, will be um, you know, their, their works are rewarded because they've built their life on worthy things. Some men aren't. You're still saved, he says, but it's only as one escaping through the flames. Right. So he uses the word through there to talk about you're delivered through something, you're rescued through something, uh, not by those things. And so in the same way, what uh, one commentator was saying is that the interpretation there is that women will be saved through that um, curse, through that uh, consequence. They're saved right. out of it because of Jesus, not you're saved by having babies. Yeah. Yep. If that helps, just think that's, that, that's a, that can be a really confusing one. If you stick with, it means by something. So this is, this is, I think like we talked about with the Genesis passages uh, or the Deuteronomy passages, it's great to remember. Yes, you can interpret some of these through the worst possible light and try to make them say the worst possible things. And, uh, but it's not one, it's not necessary. And two, it's a, there's a very good possibility that, those worst understandings. Listen, Paul just thinks women are inferior and therefore God does because he inspired Paul with those thoughts. That's, that's, it's not necessary to believe that's what's going on here. It's not even particularly uh, likely that that's the intention of what's going on here. I don't, I don't think it's the best way to understand these passages. Obviously I don't. Um, But if you're out there and it's causing you to, these passages are causing you to struggle to recognize you don't, you don't have to see these. You can faithfully, rightfully, biblically, in a biblically sound way, understand these as not some type of minimization of women um, in church, in creation, in any of that kind of stuff. So we'll probably need to kind of our next one, we'll probably need to start a little bit and kind of wrap up a little bit yeah. of this, especially about like, you know, maybe women in leadership or something in the church and how we discuss that stuff just a tiny yeah. bit. but. Then we can move into some of the other social issues that... Yes, and like and that was another thing that I... Obviously, we didn't get to get to today, but something that you mentioned um, kind of in passing, that the Jewish world saw a baby as a blessing for the community and for the family, and what we can learn from the Jewish tendency to surround a family who's in trouble and mm-hmm. take care of them. Mm-hmm. I think as we continue to see abortion to be an, you know, a mm-hmm. hot topic even with sexism and with other things in our culture, I think it's good for us to also take a look back at those things. So you mentioned that offhand. I want to keep that in the hopper yep. as well for something we can talk about. <clears throat> um, Absolutely. But yes, thank you guys for listening and bearing with us in our technical difficulties. We are really, really grateful for you. Um, if you if you have a few minutes and you want to help us out, if, you could, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts specifically, if you could... Um, navigate to the bottom of our podcast page and uh, give us a star rating and write a review mm-hmm. of our, of our uh, podcast that will help other people to oh, find to us. Okay. Um, so yeah, again, if you don't want to do that, if you don't have time, totally get it. But if you, if you could, that would be a big help. And, uh, and we'll talk to you guys in the next episode. Thanks. That's good. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people to find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers. Thank you.